Good to see each of y'all this morning. I do ask you to continue to remember Sister Juanita. Uh, she recovers in the rehab facility and also Brother Richard as he recovers from his hernia surgery. As we've been doing these past several weeks, I want to start off our service by looking at one of Paul's prayers, reading it, and then trying to pray it for us. Okay? Yeah, get your book. All right, so I want to go to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, I'm actually going to do two short prayers, two short prayers. Colossians 4, starting in verse 2, instructions to the church there. Continue in prayer and watching the same with thanksgiving, with all praying for us, that the door would open unto us a door of utterance, that the Lord, excuse me, that God, let's learn to read, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Apostle Paul is asking for this church to pray that he could teach and preach the truth of God that had been revealed um, the way that he needs to. So... This will say this is part one of our prayer this morning, and this is my prayer for me right now. As we're going to pray is that the Lord would open up a door of utterance that I would be able to speak the mysteries of Christ, the secrets that have been here revealed in His Word, that I may make it manifest or make it revealed or clear. Right? That's, that's kind of the point to preaching is that y'all can learn, hear, be edified, grow thereby. Paul was told to feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, right? So if I'm up here and I'm yammering away using $3 words and you don't get a lick of it, I've wasted your time, I've wasted the Lord's time. So the only way any preacher can preach is by the Lord's grace, by Him intervening. And uh, He needs to, to literally open up this dead weight of a tongue of mine. Sometimes I feel like Moses, Lord, I'm, I'm not real good at talking. Let me pick somebody else. He said, hey, no. Right? Y'all know why I chose to be an attorney and go do contracts is so I didn't have to go to court and talk to people. <laughs> I could hide behind my computer and not have to interact. I could be, you know, antisocial as my natural tendencies. Y'all know how painfully shy I am? Right? So, these are all great excuses, but they don't stop us from being put in the Lord's service however He wants to use us. You know, the funny thing is that He may put you in a spot where you have great weaknesses. You know what? When He blesses it, you don't get any of the credit. If it was something that you were strong in, you'd be tempted to say, well, man, I'm pretty good at this. No, but if He takes your, your sorry and your weaknesses and then blesses anyway, it's for His glory. All right, so He's chosen the weak. So, my prayer, and I'm going to be praying this out loud, you'll be praying with me, is that the Lord would open a door of utterance, that I can speak clearly the mysteries of Christ this morning and you know, every time that we come and make it manifest or revealed. All right? So that's part one. Part two, we're going to jump down in verse 12. Epaphras, who was one of you from Colossae, he was a servant of Christ, most likely a minister. He saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. This minister from Colossae has been praying for his home church, and his prayers have been a labor. They have been fervent with energy and with diligence and with dedication. That those, those at Colossae, and this morning here us at Fairhaven, that you, you would stand and toss to and fro by every wind of doctrine, right? You would stand, stand fast, perfect, mature, grown up, and complete. <coughs> having having the knowledge of the Lord, stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Right? That's a big prayer. That's something that we can all be praying for ourselves individually and for our members and for our families. Right? And again, we're going through this exercise. Because if you're anything like I am, you often get stuck in your prayer habits. And so there's a lot of good models within 
scripture itself of things that we can be praying for more often, more than just, Lord, help me not to hurt today, right? Or help me to hurt less or whatever, that we get stuck in those kind of physical things and checking boxes, um, whereas there are greater things that we can be praying for. You've got access to the Creator God when you go to prayer, right? You're not just going to like a physician. Right? He is the great physician, but that's not the only role that he has, right? So there are things that we can be praying for um, beyond what we get stuck in the habit of. And, and maybe I'm just speaking for myself here, but I need y'all's prayers this morning and every day. So if y'all bow with me, we will try to pray. Merciful Heavenly Father, my God, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to come to your throne at this moment. Thank you that you are willing to receive us and to hear these petitions. Father, first off, we know that you're worthy. We know that you are holy, that you are righteous, that you are almighty, and that we would have no no means or right to be here but for the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for that love that you bestowed upon us. And Lord, I thank you for this opportunity that you've given us this morning to, to set aside all the other cares and trials of this world to come to gather here with believers of our Lord and Savior and to try to worship you, to try to learn more about you and to try to grow. Father, I know that that growth comes from you alone and I pray that you would take the words that are attempted to be delivered here and that you would take them and make them something more, that you would apply them to each heart and that each heart would um, take them and bear them and they would bear fruit not only today, but tomorrow and the weeks and months and years ahead, Lord, that your sheep would be fed in the long term and that they would grow thereby and that they would glorify you by their fruit. Father, I know that you've called me to this role and I know that you have equipped me to perform it by your grace and through the aid of your Holy Spirit. And so I ask you to be merciful for the sake of your children here gathered, that you would bless the preaching of the gospel today, that everything we say would be true, to be honest, to be accurate in accordance with your word, and that it would be plain, and that it would be simply under, understood and easy to be retained. And I pray that you would prepare the hearts and the minds of those listening, Lord, and that you would bless them, bless them to always be able to stand fast in your word, to be complete and to be perfect in understanding what your will is not only in their life but understanding your will in the big picture and knowing how you are a sovereign God and Lord but we will not understand everything that you do or choose not to do but Lord help us to trust you and grow our faith in believing that you are a righteous and almighty God and that you are worthy of our love Father help us now it's in Jesus name I pray Amen If you have your Bibles I want to continue in our study in the book of James Last time we made it down to verse 12, but James is a very short book, and so we're going to start in verse 1, and we'll read down, right? James chapter 1 starts off with James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not what I'm going to focus on, but as I was rereading this chapter this morning, it struck me how many of the epistles start with that expression, whether it's Paul or James or Peter, it's a servant of God or a servant of Jesus Christ or an apostle or a witness of this. It's the first thing they mention, right? It's a pretty important aspect of their life. And I dare say the most important aspect. Okay? If you're a servant to somebody and you have a master, masters have authority over you. Okay. Your job is to fulfill the Master's will and desires, the things that please Him. Okay. The unfaithful servant is the one who takes whatever the Master's given him and just does his own thing. Okay. But the faithful one furthers the Master's interest. And we're talking about prayer a moment ago. You have the ability to check in with your master. But how often do we not? Or how often, more often, do we act like we're the own master? I'm, I'm in charge. 
Okay. That just really struck me because if, if that's the most important aspect, how often does that really come up outside of in the walls of the church? Hi, do you remember, do we introduce ourselves? Hi. I'm Jonathan Mosley. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I pretty much guarantee you none of y'all have said that, and myself included. But that's really how important it should be. That if all of our life's decisions, everything that we say, everything we do, comes down to the fact that we were bought and paid for, we are not our own, you're bought, you're Christ. That really should be kind of at the top of our mind, not just kind of buried deep. If we can, if we can just learn that one thing, I am a servant of the king. And he's alive and he's reigning and he's watching what I'm doing right now. Right? It's not like you know when you go to work and your boss is over on the other side of the building, you don't know what you're doing. Right? Eventually it may get back to him or whatever, but you're a servant of the king and the king can see everything, external and internal. If we can learn that one thing, man, we'd probably be better servants. So that's a free tangent. wasn't even going to go there at all, but that, a servant. I'm a servant. You're a servant. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Greeting. 12 tribes, shorthand for the Jews. He's writing to Jewish believers who are also servants of God and of Jesus Christ. Now, he could write to all Jews, and they would claim, well, I'm a servant of God, but not all of them would say they're also a servant of Jesus Christ. You know, most of the Jews who weren't, I mean, the Jews who weren't believers, they thought Jesus was you know, a heretic, that he was that sect of the Nazarene. He was a nut. They had to kill him. Right? So he's writing to believing Jews. We'll talk about it afterwards, okay? Didn't understand. All right. To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And there's been a whole sermon on that one. How that we can count hard times, trials, tribulations, even the temptations that we ourselves are leading ourselves into, we can still count it joy because we know that the Lord can use those things, whatever they are, to grow us to grow us in grace, to grow us in sanctification, to make us more like Him, and we can grow in patience. Right? So, are they joyful? No, it doesn't say that. It says counted as joy. It's like an accounting term. You put it over here. It goes in the joy bucket. It may not feel like joy, but that's where it goes. Right? Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying or testing of your faith worketh patience. That's one of the, the products. But... Let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Sounds a little bit like our, our prayer earlier, right? That you would be perfect and complete, all right? Sound in body, not lacking anything, and that you would be mature. Part of the way we mature is by going through the hard times, having our faith tested. And when you're going through those, verse 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Right? It's been another sermon on that. That giving up... Uh, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Goes back to our prayer, right? Didn't realize how much it overlapped here. But that you would stand, not be knocked around. Stand fast. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unworthy. Or is not unworthy. A double-minded man is unstable. In all his ways. Verse 9 Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he's exalted, but let the rich also rejoice, is what's implied there, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. This is an example of those tribulations he's talking about, the ones you can count as joy. When you're wealthy and you've been made low, you can rejoice in that, because you're being reminded of the temporary nature of all this, what we talked about last week. All the great stuff that we've got in this world, everything, the wealth you could accumulate, it's like little... They're all going to go stale. They're going to get eaten. It's going to go away. But you've been adopted, right? You've got a new father, and one day you're going to have access to an infinite wealth in comparison. 
All this is just Cracker Jacks. Okay, you've got two boxes of Cracker Jacks. Big wolf. <laughs> I've been adopted. My father has adopted me, and he's coming back to get me. Right? All right, so that's why the rich man can rejoice. And it gives the comparison there with the, the grass, the field. For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof faileth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So shall the rich man fade in all his ways. Verse 12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. So when is your trying going to be past tense? When is your trial? Your trial's all going to be done and you'll be tried? That's when you're dead. Right? You're going to, I mean, you have periods of individual trials where they're stopped. But there's going to be another one. Fear not. Yeah. Right? When you're done being tried, either the Lord's come back or you're dead. And so what's that? At the end you receive, you receive the crown of life. That's, that's referring to what is the most pinnacle of life that you can receive? Eternal life. That's being with God in glory. Which the Lord promised to them that love Him. Okay? <coughs> Alright, so it's three or four weeks summed up in 120 seconds. Sorry. But I wanted all that because the context is very important. Our context of this is this James writing to these Jews, Jewish believers who are undergoing trials and tribulations. Some of them, you know, you can see the fervor that the non-believing Jews had towards believers. They 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 hated them, they despised them. I mean, the folks in Thessalonica, they're going down the road to chase Paul out of the next city, right? And this is a time when it ain't easy to go down the road. I mean, you're 30, 40 miles down to the next city and they're running him out of town there. There was a passion for hating these people. Okay? And so can you imagine for, you know, that's bad enough to be a Gentile. They didn't really care about you, but for a Jewish person to now be believing in Christ, I mean, that was, that was a big betrayal. Right? So there is, there is real persecution going on. Right? This is not just a so-and-so doesn't like me persecution that we kind of get in this country where it's just kind of, you know, thimble full, you know? So it's very real. Right? So we're in the context of tribulations, giving us the right mindset of how we can count them as joy, how we can rejoice even when we're made poor, right? In the world stuff. And so in that, verse 13, he says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Okay? For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So the question that we're looking at here is really the, the origin or the source of the temptations, the sins, the, the things that draw us away. Where do they come from? The temptation, your reaction and my reaction and Adam's reaction all the way back in the garden it's to try and find someone else to blame, right? Adam, what have you done? Well, the woman that you gave me, Lord, so it's her fault and it's your fault, she gave me and I did eat. No, Bubba. God is not going to tempt you to sin. Okay? And the idea here is enticing you to sin. Now, in the context, back up in verse 2, when you fall into diverse temptations, that's a, it's kind of a broad broad pool of things, right? Those can be things that you led yourself into by your own lusts. That could be adversity that you, you just find yourself in, right? And so this is not saying that God's not going to send you hard times. It's not saying that. But it's saying that God is not going to entice you to make you sin. That's not His role. It says, God cannot be tempted with evil. He is not enticeable. Okay? So the source of it doesn't come from God. Okay? It comes from you. Your own sin nature. There are things that you desire that are wrong. That's, we use the word lust a lot, right? All it really means is to desire something you really shouldn't have. Right? So... And more often, the more you know that you shouldn't have it, sometimes that makes it just 
even more extreme, right? Compounds it. Now, we don't all struggle with the same lust, okay? You all like the same kind of music? Probably not. Same thing. It's all music, but what Will likes may be very different than what Elliot likes, right? Well, it really just depends on your internal preferences, right? Lust is kind of the same thing, right? It is your internal struggles. It's all sin, right? But the things that you struggle with may be very different than what someone else struggles with. And so the temptation there, and we'll just get on a different tangent here, is sometimes we'll get on our little high horse, right? How can you struggle with that? Because it's not a struggle to me. And I look down my long nose at you. When if we were to be honest and looked at a different set of situations, right? And often they're, they're hidden, right? But if they were open... And they could be in that same position looking down on me. Right? So we all, you're all sinners by nature. All sinners by nature, right, Patrick? You've been telling me that? But the thing is, is that you can help it. You can. How might that be? How might that be? Well, we won't do it perfectly every time. But when we are born again, we are freed from being servants to sin. Before then, we did it, and we liked it. Sometimes there were bad consequences given by the world, or society. Fine. But it's different. When you are born again, and God opens your eyes to see the sin and see the contrast with what He pleases Him, right? then when you sin, you may still do it, but there will be an agony eventually. Now, you can, you can have your heart get so hardened, not that you go back to dead and trespasses and sin, but you can have a hardened, calloused heart. For a time, right? But the great thing is that your God loves you so much that He's going to break that heart Amen. eventually. And it's going to come in the form of chastening. And that chastening, you can also count that as a good thing. Because He chastens His children. Because He loves them. Had y'all ever been chastened by Mama? It's because she loves you. She doesn't go down and chasing the neighbor's kids. How you grow into being godly you because we're annoyed. Right? Sorry. Sometimes that happens. We're fail- faulty sinners. But for the most part, we want to be doing it because we want the best for you. God, when He chases us, He doesn't get annoyed. <laughs> he doesn't. He sees us already as bought and paid for by the blood of Christ. So He's not bringing down the hammer and judgment upon you for that sin because one sin we all deserve to be cast into hell. But He's not bringing down the judgment for that because that's been paid for. But He gives it like a compassionate, loving Father, gives it in small doses to teach us to do the right thing, to see. So we can be what? Conformed to the image of His Son, right? The big preacher words. He's made to look like Christ in what we do and what we say. That's, that's our growth. We talk about growing in grace. It's, I want to grow to be like somebody, right? Have you ever, fathers, ever have a fearful thing where your kids talk about, I want to be like you when you grow up? You're like, oh. I know what I'm like. I want them to be better than that. Right? But we've got our Heavenly Lord. That's who we want to grow up to be like. And He's a perfect example. Right? So let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. Don't blame God. Well, Lord, if, if you didn't want me to do this, you wouldn't have put me in that situation. No. 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 God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth He any man, all right? Sometimes preachers use the expression, God is not the author of sin, right? He does not create sin, right? He didn't make Adam sin. Adam sinned on his own, right? All right, and we're going we're gonna to hit some distinguishers today. And this may be a little heavier theology than you care to, but there are some things that we need to be clear in what we teach. So we believe firmly, and believe Scripture teaches, that God is not the author of sin. Alright? There are those who believe in the doctrine of predestination that take it so far that God predestinated all events and all things that they have to get to that point, well then God would also have been the creator of sin. Right? We don't believe that. 
When we look at the scriptures that use the term predestination in the Greek word back there, don't worry about the pronunciation. It's Strong's 4309 if you care. shows up six different times, and there's only two contexts that they appear. All right, so let's look at those real quick. Start in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. So there's only two contexts for this use of predestination, the Greek word there. One is referring to a people. Predestinated a people. So Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5 says, Having predestinated us. All right, let's get our context. Start back at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Talking about God. Who hath blessed us with, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as He, again that's God, according as God hath chosen us in Him, Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the beloved. Okay? All that for the context of that word there in five, of predestinated. He has predetermined, he has laid out in advance the destination of a people. Okay? Y'all ever bought an airplane ticket and kind of wondered where you're going to be when you land? You know, you know in advance, right? You buy that ticket knowing that unless something goes terribly wrong on the airplane, if you got to buy a ticket to Dallas, you're going to get to Dallas. Right? The Lord before the foundation of the world, he chose out his people that collection, and he predetermined that every single one of them are going to be with him in glory. That's their destination. I mean, it's really not that confusing. He has predetermined that every single one that he chose are going to be with him. So it's a people have predestinated us. All right, go down um, in verse 11, you get the second time in whom we have obtained an inheritance, that inheritance referring to uh, being in glory with with God, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will, that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. Again, we are being predestinated to have that inheritance, to be with Him in glory. Context is people and where they're going to be. And while we're looking at it so closely, we're seeing that it does not apply to all events, everything that happens. It doesn't, doesn't teach that. All right, so this is, this is two. Let's go look at the next one in Romans chapter 8. There's only six, so we can look at them all, right? Romans chapter 8. We'll just start reading in verse 28, but it's down in 29 and 30 that we want it. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are called according to his purpose, for for whom, catch that word whom, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, predetermine, to be conformed to the image of his Son. Where will you be conformed perfectly to the image of his Son? In heaven, in glory. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What should we say then with these things? If God be with us, before us, who can be against us? So again, in both of those contexts, it's referring to a people. Not all things, but a people. Now there is another context And you can find this over in 1 Corinthians that refers to the work of Jesus Christ. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and in verse 7, I believe. Alright. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7 says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom. So this is referring to what used to be a secret 
about the work of Jesus Christ. It's now been revealed, but it used to be a mystery. It used to be hidden in the ages past. We speak the wisdom of God and the mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew for word that we translate predestinated elsewhere. Alright? God predetermined that the work of Christ was going to happen. It was going to occur. He was going to come into this world. He was going to live a sinless life and he was going to be killed by wicked and sinful hands. And he was going to be successful. Okay? Sometimes we'll refer to this as the covenant of grace. That which the Father and the Son agreed before the foundation of the world. Alright? You can see this again over in Acts chapter 4 and verse 28. Context here is, is tribulation in the young church. Um, they're going and praying to the Father. And they're asking to have boldness to speak. Right? A lot of overlap here. They lifted up their voice. They're all praying together in one accord, saying, Lord, Thou art God, which made heaven and earth and sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of David hath said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. That comes from Psalm number 2. For of a truth, against Thy holy child Jesus, whom Thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Okay, so this is after the crucifixion has already happened, but they're talking about it. They're saying this is what, what happened. All these people gathered together. All the heathen are raging against your holy child Jesus. And they gathered together to fulfill what you had already ordained, that determined before to be done, same word, Greek word, predestinated, that you had determined before to be done, that he was going to be killed by these wicked men, and he was going to rise again. That was, that was God's plan. That was going to happen. Okay? One, two, three, four, five, six. That's it. Those are the six times that word is used. You've got the work of Jesus Christ, You've got his people. That's it. Okay. You can see this concept about um, the hands that killed him. Even though they were fulfilling God's purpose in that, they were still wrong to do it. They were still sinners. Right? That's over in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. <laughs> I mean, you, you just think about this. It's an indictment on how cowardly we are as preachers today of not being willing to say the hard truth. Pentecost, right? Powerful meeting. So many people joined. He told them the truth. A hard truth. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God uh, did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel, the appointed counsel, and the foreknowledge, the forethought, so those two kind of com combined to get that same thought, determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. There was no punches pulled there, right? He didn't try and deflect off that, that you know, those leaders that they took. It was ye, right? It was ye. Unless we get up on a high horse about you know the Jews back then, if we'd been in the same spot, but for God's grace, <laughs> we would have been there going crucifying. Right? And then all these men, as they're pricked in the heart, the end result is, what should we do? Repent, be baptized, right? And they did, and they had thousands that were joined to them. But he's holding the truth. You being him being delivered, delivered into the hands of the Jews and the Gentiles for the for the trial and the crucifixion, by the determinate counsel, the appointed counsel of God, and the foreknowledge of God. He knew it in the head. Ye have taken by wicked hands, have crucified and slain him. Alright, and that foreknowledge there, that's the same 
that appears over in First Peter 1 and 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Okay? You say, why, why, are, why are we spending that time on that? Because it's important to sometimes teach the distinctions. Okay? Sometimes folks, when they hear the term predestination, will go in a, in a, in a far ditch, right? If they don't know or you don't know how to adequately teach it, right? And so we have to be very clear as we're growing, as we're studying the Lord, to hone in and continue honing. We can start with the broad brushstrokes. That's great. I'd rather have the right broad brushstrokes than the wrong ones. But from there, we need to get our little smaller brushes and continue to paint and get sharper and sharper and sharper edges. So as we're growing, because that's what we're called to do, right? It's not to just come, okay, I've joined the church now, I'm sitting here and I'm a bump on a log until I die. No, right? There's to be growth. We're to bear fruit, right? We should be interested in the will of our Master and to know more about Him and to know what He's done for us and that we can praise Him more perfectly. Okay? So... The upshot of that extreme of going to the ditch of predestination is that if he predestinated all things, is that God would have to be the author of sin. He's not. And in fact, Scripture doesn't teach that. It teaches that he predestinated the people, that they would be with him in glory, and he predetermined the work of Christ. It was going to be successful. Those are two big nuggets. You don't get anything else from today. Think on those. Okay. All right, so God is not temptable with sin. Right? He's holy. That's, that's His very character. Right? When they're in heaven and they're, they're saying, holy, holy, holy. Right? That's describing God. That's His very character. Right? For Him to sin would be contrary to His own character. Right? God cannot do things that are contrary to Himself. Right? He can't. It's like God cannot lie. <coughs> Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with sin, neither tempteth he any man. He doesn't tempt you to do evil. He does not seduce you to do evil. He does not entice you to do evil. Right? That comes from ourselves. But every man, every single man, woman, and child alive, every man is tempted. And that tempted means to be enticed. When you're enticed, you are drawn away of your own lust and enticed. Right? So, that drawn away. If you look at Strong's, it literally says to drag away. Okay? Word doesn't appear anywhere else in Scripture. This particular, it's just right there. He's dragged away. But if you look at the root word, it's a compound, one being off and the other being drag, that drag, that goes all the way back to, you know, John... No man will come to my Father except the Lord draw him. Right? Except for in that case, that's the Lord drawing you. He's drawing you to a good thing. Whereas here, you're being drugged by your own self, by your own sins, by your own desires, your own, you know, get your color wheel of sins, right? And they mix your match some, that, right? Those are the ones that drag you away, that entice you. It's your own sinful nature, right? And we lust. We long for things. We, we desire them. Again, especially for that which is forbidden. And those are conceived in our heart, right? So listen, it says, Then when lust hath conceived, right? We use that, that's a term like for, for getting pregnant. You go from not only seeing something, desiring it, then there's something in the heart that happens, right? It conceives, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. That first bringeth forth means to, to, to begot, like to bear, to bore. Right? And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And that bringeth forth is more like to produce. All right? Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. All right, so 13 through 18, this is all linked. Right? Sometimes we just want to jump to verse 17 and talk about the good and perfect gifts. Well, it's in contrast to those evil and vile things that are in our life. The Lord is never going to send you 
somebody or something that <laughs> that is that is sin, right? He's not. It's not going to come from him. And so when we're talking about good and perfect gifts, it's in contrast to those evil things, the vile things, the corrupt things. And so it all goes back to 13. Of don't blame God. And don't look to God for an excuse. And don't look to God for a validation on what you're doing. Well, it must be from God. Is it? No! If it's wrong, and how do you know it's wrong? Well, one, He's written His law in your heart. And two, you can verify it in writing. Then it didn't come from Him. It comes from your own desires in your heart. Your own lust. That's, that's the source. And eventually, if you dwell on something long enough, you'll conceive ways of how I can, I can get there. Right? And you'll go through with that sin. And then it says the end of it, when it's finished, is, is death. I mean, the wages of sin are death. But for Jesus Christ... That would be where we end. Right? You would have the resurrection at the end, but it would be a resurrection unto to torment for forever. Now, on a lesser scale, when we sin, it can feel like there's death in our life. Right? Like in David over in Psalm is it, is it 51? I think we read that this week in our reading. After he had gotten into trouble with Bathsheba, right? He had lost that joy of his salvation with the Lord. The Lord didn't change. He still loved David. But David had lost that joy. He had a period of that time where it was like there was death in the family. And so there are costs. There are consequences that will happen with our sins. The point of that is that good doesn't come from the sin directly. Now we look back at that verse in Romans chapter 8 that God can work all things for the good of those that love Him. Now, be careful with that because preachers get all up in arms. Does that mean all things? Does that mean just the ones that are listed beneath it have turned to a salvation? And I'll be honest, I don't know. I'm inclined to think it's more than just the things of salvation because I've seen in my own life of how God has used my sorriness <laughs> and then years down the road of what He taught me and it was for the benefit. Maybe not for myself directly, maybe for someone else. And so I'm going to just rely on God's ways and thoughts are higher than mine. Um, and so He can take even that which is wrong and sinful <coughs> in and of itself, and no good comes directly from that sin, He can still respond to it in a way that can bring about good. And what I mean by that good is I'm not saying that now you're healthy and now you're wealthy and now you've got all the you know, toys and trappings. What's the ultimate good for you is that you will be conformed to the image of His Son. Or that someone else will. Ever think about that? Sometimes the Lord uses situations. You're going through them, but it may be for someone else's good. Maybe for your children. It may be for your grandchildren or descendants. Whatever. That God has got a much bigger mindset of seeing everything of how He can work it to please and glorify Himself. All right? I mean, you can think about uh, old Pharaoh. Right? He was raised up for the purpose of God to knock him down. Right? He was going to do all these wonderful miracles to demonstrate His power and to bring out this people for His own glory. Right? So don't err. Don't, don't think that I can sin and do this wrong thing and that it becomes a good thing. God can use things, but it doesn't make what you did right. right? The folks who killed Christ, a lot of good came out of that. The perfect good came out of that. It was still wrong. Okay? So don't use this as an excuse in our lives to do the wrong thing. Where do the good gifts come from? The good gift, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Not from our own lust, but it comes from God. Right? So the things that He sends are good and perfect. And good is intrinsically good. Right? And perfect means... All right, so there's this gift here. It's actually two different Greek words. They both translated gift, and so that doesn't really help us very much. 
But if you look at them, every good gift, this word um, deals with the intent that it was given. Okay? Sometimes you and I can give a gift that's, that's good for somebody, but have the wrong intent. We can have uh, bad motives. I mean, let's, let's example, I give a good gift of $1,000 to a judge so he can help decide that case the right way. <laughs> right? thousand dollars you know there's nothing wrong with that money in and of itself or maybe it's a car the car runs but the motive for giving it was flawed right <laughs> so that's the first is that god gives perfect gifts good gifts and that his motive in giving them is perfect right he's intending for good things for you right it is, it is a good gift in the intent of god not only that when he gives it the purpose is achieved okay Brother Parrish could give me a good gift of a car and it may not start, right? He had a good intent. But he doesn't have it within his power to ensure that everything comes to full fruition, right? So God gets both. The things that come from God, they're meant for good. But sometimes we don't do that. And they end up for good, right? The mission, the purpose is accomplished, right? And you contrast that back in verses 13 and 14, with our own evil. Right? Our motives are often tainted. Our ends are often failures and shorts. It's just, where do the struggles, where do the temptations come from? It's not God. It's ourselves. It's our own wicked and deceitful hearts. Right? So the good things come from God. Good gift. God with good motive, good intent comes from above, cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness. Now, we could have a whole sermon on the Father of lights, right? About where do we like to engage in our sin, right? In the darkness, right? You know, nothing good happens after 9 o'clock. My dad said it all growing up. <laughs> Never got that. Now I'm like, 9 o'clock, 8.30, man. Let's... <laughs> but the rioting, the partying, the things that go on in the dark, the things that... <laughs> that's where the things that don't please God, they tend to happen... After dark, right? Christ came into the world and men didn't like Him. Why? Because they loved darkness more than light. He was the light Himself and He showed the light on their sins and they didn't like it. They wanted those sins. They wanted those pet sins. They don't want the truth of holiness and righteousness, right? So God is the Father of lights. He is glory. He is righteous. He is holy. And there's no changing of that. No variableness, right? It's not like on a sundial where it didn't give Him the day. It's going to go around. It's, it's just pure light, right? He doesn't change. And so from that, neither is there a shadow of turning of his own will, begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. All right. If you talk to someone who believes, um, I guess, reform <coughs> theology or gospel regeneration, this is a verse that they go to that says, to be born again, you must hear the word of God. Right? So that's that's what it that's what my understanding of gospel regeneration is. Right? And they'll say this so of his own will, okay, God, begot he us with the word of truth. Well, see, it says right there, he born us with the word of truth. Alright? So I want us to dig into that distinguisher here. And I've I've spent some time laboring on this with trying to make sure that I understand this this verse here. Alright? So our context here is talking about good gifts. A good and perfect gift, and of his own will, begot he us with the word of truth. Alright? So we look at the word there, begot he us. Does that mean born? It doesn't. It actually only appears one other time. And that's up in verse 15. It's not the bringeth forth sin, it's the other one. Bringeth forth death. Okay? It's a compound word. Literally means to off and, and swell. Now, somehow they think the swelling refers to the uh, swelling of a stomach. Maybe that's why they translated begot. I don't know. Every other time you look up that word swell, it's translated waves. You know, all the times they go on those ships and the storms come up and the waves are going crazy and then they're, right? That's that word swelling. It's off swelling. And so, put in that bringeth forth. Of his own will bringeth forth he us with the word of truth. Okay? So, a little bit different feel there, but maybe that's not enough. Maybe look at the comparison. 
Lust, when it hath conceived, bringeth forth sin. And then the result is death. When we're talking about being born again, that's the very beginning, right? That's the very beginning. That's more like conception, right? Whereas here, what I think is being referred to of his own will, that God, he, he brought us forth. To grow us. You're born again, and then you can hear. And then, when you've heard the word of truth, you can grow. You can have in your mind an understanding about what Christ has produced, and you do grow. Right? The word of truth. That's that's the wonderful thing about the gospel. Is that you can know what great things God has done for you. And revealed in his own terms, and you don't have to depend on my word for it. You can go see and see. I mean, this is this is a love letter written to you. Also an instruction manual written from your master. Right? So if you got, you know, somebody you really care about and they sent you a really nice letter and you love them, would, would you would you only read like a line of it once a month and then put it down and, you know, that's all right. I know he loves me. No, you'd be pouring over it. Because sometimes he's going to come get you. I'm looking forward to that day. Right? I don't ever spend any time getting ready on a Friday night. Night, good. Y'all court. On the front porch, right? Parents. Neither here nor there. Alright. And so, you know, part of the way as I'm approaching this is is is, is can this mean that he he creates me with new life while I'm dead in trespasses? And can it mean that? And I have to go to other scriptures that I think are, are very teach very plainly teach no. And where I would go would start would be um, 1 Corinthians chapter one. Okay. First Corinthians chapter one and verse eighteen it says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Okay? If you're dead in trespasses and sins, you can sit on a sound of the gospel all you want. It's just gonna be foolishness. Right? Now the reformed guy will say, Yeah, but that's perished. I'll get you on the election thing, and so so maybe that's referring to just those who are, who are never going to be born again. Okay, well, let's go over to chapter 2 and verse 14. We looked at this uh, in our Bible study Wednesday night, right? Chapter 2, verse... But the natural man, your carnal self, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness under him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You can't know them. You can't receive them in your natural state. That quickening, that making alive has to come first. And then you can hear. And then the Lord will bring forth, using the word of truth, your growth and your maturing. Okay? over to 1 Thessalonians 4 for just a moment. And we'll wrap up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Furthermore then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. They've learned by Paul and by his teaching, how you ought to walk and and to please God so you would abound more and more. That's continued growth, right? For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. There is some instruction given by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. What is the will of God? Your sanctification. And it goes on to get very specific on that. Sanctification. Great preacher word. My, my little people. What's sanctification? Yes, sanctification, that's right. right. It means to be made holy. Right? Holy. Holy, that's right. We sing about the holy God. Holy, holy, holy. Right? It means the conformance of our life to the pattern of Jesus Christ. 
Right? We want to be conformed to his image. We want to look like him in the way that we talk, the way that we speak, even the way that we think, the things that we do. All this is that we should be growing up towards him. Will you do it perfectly, Patrick? No. Right? Because we're sinners. But is that an excuse to stop? You can't change that, but God can, right? And at the end, when we're with Him in glory, will we be sinners then? Nope. Nope. Right? Not even one sin. What a day! We see that. What a day that will be. But can you imagine that? I mean, all the other wonderful things aside, imagine having no sin. Right? Not even one. Not even that one bad thought of where I got mad with my brother or sister because they did something and it just annoyed me and I shouldn't be mad but I'm oh, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna get them right. There's silly things adults do that too. Man. Yeah. Man. He sat in my spot at lunch. Man, that's my spot. That may seem silly, but adults get silly over get angry over just as silly things, right? Mommy. Yeah, you're hungry. Okay, well we'll wrap up. <laughs> Oh, amen. Amen. So Paul had taught them, right? And here he is just reminding them that it's God's will for you to be sanctified, for you to be more holy, right? It's a process. It's a journey, right? And it's not just the preacher's responsibility. Oof. If it were up to the preacher being perfect and then you'd get it all, guess what? The apostles wouldn't have had any issues because they had the best perfect teacher, right? right. Do they have issues? Yeah. yeah, they did. And we can't get on our long nose because we probably would have had more. Right? But it's a process. Right? This is, this is the growth that we're called to. And so I say all this to encourage you. That one, growth and change, they're possible. Right? If it weren't possible, he wouldn't have called you to it. It pleases him when you do seek him diligently. And he still loves you even when you fail. And because he loves you, he will chasten you, he'll correct you, and draw you back to him and put you on a path to serve him again. Does that mean it won't hurt in the process? No, it's probably going to hurt. My daddy didn't correct me with some fervor. I may not have remembered it the next day. Sometimes I was short-memoried. Sometimes I remembered it for a while. Right? But he does it because he loves us. Right? So, part of what we're doing is we're here, and we're here is that we're kind of getting, you know, the that priming to then go out and do. Right? You can get kind of beaten down by this world. It'll, it'll wear you down if you focus on it. The, the cares and the tribulations of this world, they'll get you down, particularly if you focus on them. And so we kind of come back in here, lay that aside, and we just focus on our God. Right? As purely as we're able to. And then it doesn't stop here. We take it, and we're supposed to run with it, right? Our, our, our Christian walk is described as being a race. Right? And so this is more like kind of a pit stop. You know, you ever see those marathoners? They got the guys with the water. They come and they check the water and they go on. Well, this is your cup of water. You know, little. It's not everlasting water. This is, but, and run on. Right? It's not you come, I've reached my destination, I get to sit and, you know, and have beds of ease. Right? <laughs> that ain't the description. Right? That was the man who had gathered all his wealth and he put it in barns and says, now I can eat, drink, and be merry. And the Lord says, thou fool, I'm going to require your soul tonight. You're dead. Right? No. You've got a race to run. As long as you're running, you're following after Christ, right? Let me please my master. Let me serve him. Let me show his light and glory. Right? And the more that I learn about him and the more about what I've learned about what he's done for me, guess what? The more likely I am to be willing to share with other folks because you don't know who his children are. And they may be carrying around some heavy burdens, either of sorry doctrine or no doctrine. Sometimes the sorry doctrine is worse than the no doctrine, but are you more afraid of saying the wrong thing than you are of trying to help somebody. To lay those chains down. The truth will set you free. The semi-truth is not always helpful. But the truth will set you free, right? And so, we need courage. 
We need courage not only that the door, door of utterance would be given to the sorry preacher in front of you, but that you would have a door of utterance. Not only opportunities, but that you would have, one, studied enough in advance so that you can know what you're talking about. It's, it's, it's dangerous to open your mouth if you don't know, right? But if we've got a zeal for what our God has done for us, we'll be ready to share the good news of Jesus Christ to another little lamb. Thank you all for your time and attention. Do I have a number you'd like to sing in closing?